podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to Cricket Daily. It's the Ashes edition. It's day two of the MCG test. I'm Menas. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Dennett. Well, I mean, there is so much to get through today, Paul. We've got the fact that the Ashes are hanging by a thread, and I'll get to that in a minute, but you have to say that last hour where England were um, destroyed to be four for 31 was one of the most compelling passages of play in Australian cricket for a long time. Yes, it certainly was, and I've just tried to recreate it watching it on replay on KO because I was listening to it on the radio. Um, after having watched every single ball of the Test match to date, we had no choice but to be in the car for that last hour. Don't blame my wife and daughter who are within earshot. They're wonderful. But, um, yeah, it was good on radio. But when they're talking about scenes reminiscent of the 81-82 <laughs> day, Boxing Day, when Dennis Lilly was um, steaming in, and I just watching it on the highlights then, you did get that feeling of um, – uh, there are only about 30-something thousand there that day, so just over 40,000 there today. And I often criticise the Australian crowds for not having the atmosphere of the English crowds, but, geez, it would have been good to be there at the MCG or even to be watching it on TV. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just an incredible finish. Um, Cummins and Stark were immense. And then Boland, the local boy on debut, caps it off with two far in and over. What a, what a, a scene. And, um, yeah, for those that are catching up, Australia were bowled out for 267, so they led by 82. And now England will have to do well to make Australia bad again. But, but let's <laughs> let's go back to the beginning of play. So this morning I, I saw that England were delayed getting to the ground because um, four members of their touring party, two staff and two family, have tested positive to COVID in the lateral flow tests. Now, all the, the the English players passed their lateral flow test, and that is why the game was able to go ahead today. But, Paul, the big issue now is all the, the team and the, the squad have gone for PCR testing, so the real proper stuff. And overnight, if a number of English players come back with positive tests, there is a very good chance this test match may not go on. Uh, the Ashes could be in jeopardy. Uh, I mean, you know, looking at the scoreboard, the English should be desperate to find any way to get out of here. Yes, it's um, it's going to be an interesting day tomorrow. I suppose in theory, given that the lateral flow tests were all negative, you'd hope that the, the PCR tests uh, should all be negative as well. But even if that's the case, you sort of get the sense that maybe that's just a stay of execution for this series, that, that we feel as though we're going to have similar moments to this either in this test match or in the fourth or the fifth test matches. And mm. it's a difficult situation to be in. Uh, I understand that Nick Hockley has predictably so far confirmed that the plans are to, to very much go ahead with Sydney and Hobart for the fourth and fifth test matches. But as with everything with the, with the, with the virus, if you do the right thing, you're often seen to be doing it too early. Now, I think Cricket Australia probably should really consider 
saying we're going to play the fourth and fifth tests in um, in Melbourne uh, because they might regret it if they eventually get to Sydney and you know Sydney's testing Sydney's uh, epidemic is exploding out of control more quickly than uh, Melbourne's and also uh, Malcolm Conn's making the point in the Sydney Morning Herald that. New South Wales and Tasmania take a much stricter view of what close contacts are able to do. That um, in Melbourne, if you're de- deemed a close contact, once you test negative, you're sort of free to go. Whereas in New South Wales and Victoria, it's um, about seven days that you have to isolate no matter what. So that could be um, a pretty serious issue for the Ashes. Absolutely. So, you know, jumping on a few of those things. So, you know, I think what Nick Hockley said in his press conference today is pretty consistent with the way he handles all his media opportunities. He's very definite. So he was very definite in saying they were going to play in Perth or they were going to try and play in Perth. And he pretty much took the same line today. But I I think there was an acknowledgement that it's a day-by-day prospect. So, you know, he could come out today and tomorrow and say it's something totally different. Um, As you say about the, the conditions with the test, that's true. So there was an article by Sam Landsberger saying that Cricket Australia is seeking an exemption to that for the players, that if they're close contacts, um, that they have to isolate for a week. And apparently the state government's looking at changing that anyway in the next week. Uh, so, you know, there's a few balls in the air, but you know, quite practically, Paul, there's, a, you know, there's triple the amount of cases, maybe more in the community in, in Sydney and in New South Wales. So bringing the English and Australian teams here, you're taking more risk just bringing them here, like to this environment where they could come into contact with it um, more readily than in Melbourne. Exactly. And I think that if the boards had their way right now, they would institute a formal lockdown for the players. But I know that if they broached that subject, the the response from the players might be not all that keen because we've got roughly uh, three weeks left. The Ashes are due to finish on the 18th of January. And given the amount of money at stake, I think that's what I would want to do if I was an administrator. But, you know, understandably, every series the players play and that's what the administrators would ultimately want to do. So they've got to kind of draw the line somewhere. Um, And also concerningly, I think that the positive test rating in Sydney today or New South Wales today was something like 6% of all tests uh, returned a positive uh, case. Now, back in the early part of the pandemic, most days the the percentage of positive tests in New South Wales was 0.0 something. So the fact that it's now 6%, indicates that the true number is much, much higher because some people haven't been tested yet, haven't been able to get tested. So, yes, um, it's going to be very difficult for the for the series to remain COVID-free once they hit Sydney. Yeah, because my inkling is that Cricket Australia, because of the financial implications, will be desperate to play all the tests wherever they're played just so they can get on TV. So as you say, if they have to make the call, we'll just stay in Melbourne. Sam Landsberger wrote in his piece, everybody's there, the hotels are close to the ground, Uh, they could pretty much probably get through the rest of the series, play one of them as a a day-night test at the MCG. Uh, As someone who would be gutted not to go to the Sydney test, I think it's a very realistic um, prospect. Um, So look, Yeah, who knows? Tomorrow we could be talking about the end of the Ashes. I mean, Australia could beat England. It could be 3-0. A few players come back positive and everyone just decides to pack up their kit and go home. Um, Which would be obviously an enormous pity, but certainly not beyond the realms of of possibility. And, um, yeah, I mean, given that the series, 
England, you know, it might be academic in the sense that after two hours tomorrow, they could be blown away completely. But they've still they've still got that faint hope with Root and um, Stokes at the crease and with the pitch not necessarily the easiest to bat on. Um, a couple of decent partnerships, it still could get interesting. Um, so, mm. you know, they're at their last chance saloon today. I think they've kind of forestalled that one more day. So they had a pretty good day for most of the day and it ended terribly, but they're still just about in there surviving. Yeah, you're right. Um, and, and just going back to the beginning of play, it was our dream scenario where all of the Channel 7 first uh, 11 <laughs> commentary team was um, wiped out for the first couple of sessions and they had to call in the big bash team of Lisa Stalaker, Brad Hodge, Andy Marr, Jason Richardson, which was the most galling of the lot. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I guess if, if, if they'd all to get to Sydney, there is a chance that all 100 broadcasters could be wiped out, Paul, and it's just you and I calling the whole test because there's no COVID scares in my living room. I'm telling you that. <laughs> uh, I am safe as a house. I'm so safe here and nothing's getting through. Um, I'm ready. If it gets to Sydney and they all go down, I could do the lot. And we're used we to doing hybrid broadcasts with um, the Shield, so it wouldn't matter. They could use it for TV and radio. radio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose we, we probably came closer to commentating on the Ashes today than any day in our history much in the same way that if you if you stand at the top of a tall mountain you're the closest you've ever been to the moon <laughs> you bastard <laughs> um, all right let's get into the cricket um there might not be much of it left so australia started the day one down they were rock and roll for 267 uh some notable dismissals well nathan lyon went early uh, the night watchman he was out for 10 but then Manus Labuschagne was uh, caught root, bowled Wood for one. I thought England bowled exceptionally well to him early on, and he never really settled. I haven't looked at the numbers, but has he ever failed in an Ashes match before? Like, it's my memory <laughs> is that every single time he's gone out to bat, he's got at least 50. So that was, um, yes, that was unusual. Um, I, I think both Labuschagne and Smith, and certainly Green, were guilty, as I've said a few times in this series, of just being a little bit too defence-orientated on that pitch. I mean, Labuschagne and Smith didn't last very long, so you can't blame them too much. But I think that um, when you look at the way that Cummins and, and Stark uh, played, that a good 30 or 40 on this pitch was was probably worth more than that. So um, that's something that they should have probably been a, a little bit more attentive to, especially Green, I think. Mm. Well, Steve Smith, I mean, that was a Jaffa to get him for 16 Jimmy Anderson bowling him through the gate. Uh, Travis Head, he made a handy 27. I didn't think he looked too bad. It was, a, a, I would say, a slightly soft dismissal, um, to just nicking at one. Yeah. I, it was, um, I was talking to my um, Scottish, my wife's cousin um, during that, sort of educating him on the cricket. And even he was sort of saying, why did he play that shot? You know, he, and we sort of saying, yeah, he should have either left it or smashed it. But the man who needed to score some runs anchored the innings, Marcus Harris. He made 76. It was a good innings, a couple of half chances, um, missed stumping when he was on 60-odd, which was a tough one. Uh, there was a close um, appeal. I think he was given out, but when it was referred, it um, showed he'd hit it. So it was, yeah, look, I thought it was a good innings from Harris. What, what did you think? Um, yeah, I mean, you can't. You can't be too critical of him. He was kept in the side for to do a job like this, and he did it. He'd be obviously bitterly disappointed that he didn't go on and get a hundred. And I think that's 
potentially going to be one of the things that he's going to struggle with during his career, that he's got to bat so long in order to get a, a, a three-figure score. That a little bit like, he's not as defensive as Ed Cowan, but he's the sort of player that could have a test match where he gets, um, you know, 70 in the first innings and uh, 10 in the second innings. And you think, oh, he's had a really good game, but he's barely, he's you know, averaging 40 for the match. It's kind of a, a barely a pass mark. But yeah, um, pleased for him. And that dismissal, did you, were you watching Foxtel or Channel 7 when he was um, uh, given not out, given out and then um, reviewed it? I was watching KO to Foxtel. Yeah. Did you see the the, the, um, the footage they put to air of the, him having a chat to Ben Stokes afterwards? Yeah, saying, oh, hotspot shit. Or he said something ruder than that, didn't he? Yeah, he said hotspot's effing hopeless. Um, and the yeah. thing that was amusing was it wasn't live. Foxtel had um, heard the audio and then decided to put it to air. So It's their technology. Yeah, they've just gone, this sounds funny. Let's put it to air, then we'll apologise. Like, well, it was a bit strange, but oh, yeah, I love that. I, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, and then uh, the Australian lower order sort of wagged a little bit. Uh, everyone's talking about Jimmy Anderson's spell between lunch, lunch and tea where he got those couple of wickets, barely conceded a run. Shane Warne said it's the best he's ever seen Anderson bowl in, in Australia. So Anderson finished with four for 33 of 23 overs. It was a classy performance from Anderson. And, yeah, I, yeah, terrific stuff. Yeah, and I saw that that, that says that he, that means that he's average in Australia in the Ashes is now slightly better than his average in England in the Ashes, which um, is remarkable, really, because I wouldn't have thought that was the case, but um, it is. So he's not necessarily done all that well against Australia um, throughout his career. He's, he's, his main successes have come against um, other teams, but he just seemed to pitch it that little bit further up and that little bit closer to off stump, which is what kind of everyone has been saying he needed to do. But yeah, fantastic spell. And I think that's why England are still in the game, that if they can get a lead of... 150 um, or more, that's at least something they can bowl out. And if they bowl the same way and the pitch continues to be just, you know, not not the easiest, then we could have a grandstand finish. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Um, Pat Cummins is like James Anderson, but he bowls about 15 kilometres an hour quicker. Um, so there were two interesting press conferences after play, Marcus Harris and James Anderson. Harris said that actually in the lead-up to this game, he watched some footage of him playing test cricket against India in 2018, and he noticed that in those test matches he was playing the ball a little bit later. So he tried to do that in uh, this test match. And, I mean, if, if you're not technically technician i guess practically that means you just don't put your hands out too far in front of your body which um you know it's better to play the ball under your eyes so certainly worked getting 76 a better result than before it's and, interesting um, though, that had to that it, yeah. it had to come to this like they got the batting coach in there with all the technology available it almost sounded like this was i hope this is something that was given to him rather than him having to seek it out but surely they'd have a, a package together of um all of his best innings and all of his best shots that they can just go bang, 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 bang. It again seems Australia's a little bit on the slow side when it comes to using technology well. Yeah. And then uh, James Anderson was um, also on the press conference. There's some great questions. So our mate Malcolm Conn uh, trying to stir up some shit in the English camp said, that. you know, <laughs> why is it that the um, English bowlers always cop it um, after losses and not the batters? And... Um, Anderson played a very straight bat. His experience hosting a podcast, he he sort of he navigated the waters very easily. But apparently, he said to ABC straight after play that you know one of these batters has to make a hundred tomorrow, and he was quite pointed about it. Did you ever used to watch the TV? The British comedy called Drop the Dead Donkey. 
No. It was this British show about a, a TV newsroom, and they once had a, 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 a major politician on who's like the deputy prime minister and the host, and on this show they're in a commercial break. And um, the host said to the deputy prime minister something like, you know, do you think you guys got any chance in the next election? And he said, no, because our policies are, hope are hopeless. Our prime minister is an idiot. And then they went back to live. Live. Um, welcome back. Um, yeah, the election's coming up. Do you think you got any chance in it? And he said, well, yes, certainly, because we've got excellent policies and our prime minister is excellent. And <laughs> I felt like that if Jimmy Anderson could have gone um, <laughs> off the record. He might have yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then um, Dean Wilson, who's another uh, – look uh, – some of the English journalists, you know, I'm not a great fan of, but I do like the way Dean Wilson asked questions. And he was probing Anderson about whether he was really fit to play in the first test um, because, you know, they said Anderson wasn't quite ready for it. And Anderson admitted he was ready. He wanted to play. And then Anderson said, basically, you know, I felt I was a bit cold going into Adelaide. Like it would have been basically, you know, it would have been good to play in the Gabba. So I was, <laughs> you know, really into it for the the pink ball test. So, um, he said, it's, you know, it's not easy just to walk up start as a fast bowler. So there's certainly some issues going on with that selection table. I mean, Chris Silverwood's not going to last much longer. And then after all that, Dean Wilson goes to Anderson, so are you enjoying this? And <laughs> Anderson goes, what, this press conference? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, it was a good, good one. Now, um, so, uh, yeah, look, and then the Australia's tail wag, Green, 17, Carey, 19, Cummins, 21, Stark, 24, not out. Uh, I thought Green and Carey showed some application. It was very tough batting conditions. Did, how did you read it? They certainly showed application. Um, and I just think that Green, uh, actually Shane Warne said it, he said that he just needs to sort of develop the ability to get off strike and build an innings a bit better, that, at the moment, he um, seems, to, seems to have two modes, total aggression or total defence. And I just think that he's such a good player that um, he, he could play more aggressively than that. And what I was really heartened to see was that Cummins seemed to, for the first time in a long time, play more like Mitchell Stark used to play, uh, tends to play. And that's there's no coincidence. This is one of the highest scores Cummins has got for a long time. Uh, and he, play, he should play that way. All the time, but he—he's actually said that in press conferences recently. Yeah, but he said that three years you. ago, and he didn't do anything. No, about he, it. he said it recently. He said, "I—I uh, I realized I just wasn't hitting the ball enough." Yeah, well, um, yeah, no, that's um, and don't don't start on the coaching staff. No, 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 no. Have you got you? Are you um? Are you a bit um? Have you got a member of the coaching staff in your family or something? You're no, 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 not at all. No, <laughs> I was going to say start on them. Cummins, possibly the only thing that wasn't perfect in his whole life was that. And now he's fixed that. Like, he's basically flawless. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Paul's stat of the day. What, yes. what have we got? I've got it here in front of me. I'm going to just look at it. Okay. So far on this trip, Ben Stokes has scored 92 runs from 307 balls at a strike rate of 29.96. I contend that if he goes out there tomorrow and bats in that same mindset, that yes, it, in theory, it's possible that he could do what he did in Headingley and bat for two hours very slowly. And then as the tail comes out, accelerate away and, and play brilliantly. But I think that more likely is he'll go out there if he plays that way, fight really hard for 90 minutes and get out and look up and he'll have batted 13 runs for the day. I think he needs to play tomorrow uh, and as if it was a, a 50 over game and just, that's the that's the only way I think that England can win. If their entire side goes out and says we have to play with aggression, they're not going to win it playing sort of attritional cricket. 
I mean, they need one of those, the two out there, Root or Stokes, to play a blinder, that's for sure. All right, let's get into my Bad Day Good Day Awards. Now, my Bad Day Award went a little viral yesterday, my Bearstow mm. video. Did you like that one, Paul? I, I like okay, how I you, found the – yeah, go on. I liked how you included not a single word of me. I was just sitting there the whole time nodding. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it was good to go viral well, as a nodding. Yep, nod, 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 nod. Well, you nodded exceptionally well. Thank you, thank you. And, and – um, <laughs> You know, that's what happens when you're the editor. You can just um I did I did squeeze you out for Johnny Bester. I think um you have to accept that he yeah. made a goose of himself. Um so look, my bad day award uh, my good day awards. Well, there was a few. My runners up are all the big bash commentators who got the call up. What a great day for them. Uh, you know, probably thinking, that, okay. That's good day, isn't it? Yeah, good day. So did yeah. I say bad day? Yeah. No, good day for the big bash commentators. They're probably, you know, preparing for the strikers and the um heat or whatever and, and looking up, um, you know, strike rates and stuff and realise they'll be calling the Ashes in a couple of hours. That would have been pretty good. Uh, but the the winner, actually, of the Good Day Award is Melbourne because, I mean, you said it in the opening, they turned on a, a terrific last couple of hours. That was riveting stuff. You know, uh, you know, sometimes I'm unkind to our Victorian neighbours from the south, but, uh, you know, that was the best of the MCG. It was great to see their enthusiasm after a, a winter of lockdown. So that's a good day, Wards. And bad day, because I'm, you know, feeling sympathetic towards the English, I really feel sorry for those top order players having to go out and face Cummins and Stark bowling that well. And to give you an idea of how good it was, Ben Jones from mm. Crickviz tweeted out that, in terms of expected wicket outcomes, which is measurement Crickviz must have, the first five overs is the best bowling since those records began in 2006. Um, so that's that's quite exceptional. And uh, those first five overs were just phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, oh, I was very pleased as well for Boland coming in at the end to get those two wickets. They do love their own. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Victorians, they'll celebrate and cheer any Australian, but they do just give that extra bit for the Victorian. And you've got to feel happy for uh, for Boland. And the, think of the number of times he'd have played at that ground where there would, you know, there might have been 150 in the in the ground, but you'd look around and you'd think there'd be zero. To suddenly have 40-something thousand people screaming for him, uh, good on him. Absolutely. And Mitchell Stark was so close to a hat trick. He got, mm. uh, uh, who did he get out? He got Crawley out. Then he got Milan first ball, a close LB, but at full speed, it looked out to me. And you saw on Hawkeye, it was clipping the top of the stumps. But, you know, I wasn't unhappy with that decision, but I am Australian. But it just shows again how different people can give different perspectives. I was listening to it on radio and Jared Waitley said that was plum and he thinks that the Hawkeye um, was unfair on the umpire because he thought it was more plum than Hawkeye showed. And on uh, Twitter, Lawrence Booth um, from the Daily Mail, who I actually really like, sort of said um, that the it sort of implied that the umpire shouldn't have been giving that out on the field, that there was enough doubt to not give it out. And um, I always find that hilarious when people assume that the umpires are that level of millimetre precision. Like, you know, you're, in the old days, the umpires could err on the side of just giving everything not out because the commentators would just say, "Oh well, that was probably going down leg." These oh, he was it, he took he was far down the pitch. That used to be you put a, a stride in and <laughs> you're not out LBW. I mean, even when I was younger, youngster, you, yeah. young whatever, youngster. Um, <laughs> but these days, if you um, say to yourself, "Oh, look, I just think that might have been clipping," but Oh, yeah, I'd better say not out because it's probably going to be umpire's call. 
it's just as likely to be shown to be three red lights. And it might only be a centimetre away from having been umpire's call. Every commentator will say, oh, you got to you got to give those out. So I, I, I think that, um, you know, people are far too critical of umpires seeing it live and calling it once. Yeah, agree. Um, so, and then Root got an absolute rip snorter first up, a leg cutter from Stark mm. that was too good. I mean, it was just moved too far. Um, so, yeah, electric spell, Mitchell Stark, five overs, two for 11. Pat Cummins, six overs, none for 14. He could literally have six overs, five for five, the way he was bowling. <laughs> I mean, he, he could have taken any number of wickets. Scott Boland, one over, two wickets for one run. I mean, if I was him, I'd frame the scorecard now and just go, you know, that was my Dennis Lilly moment at the MCG. Uh, England went one for seven, two for seven, three for 22, four for 22. Crawley, Milan, Hamid, Leach, all out. Milan, first ball duck. Leach, second ball duck. Whoa, stirring stuff, Paul Dennett. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favour. It was 40 years and two days ago today that this thing that we talk about, the Dennis Lilly um, four wickets that he took right at the end of the day's play. And that, I believe, was the match that kind of kicked off the Boxing Day test match tradition. There had been tests on Boxing Day occasionally in Victoria before that. But this one on Boxing Day, they then thought, no, we're onto onto a winner here. And what's often forgotten as well is that before that, Kim Hughes made 100 not out, yeah. arguably the best innings ever played on the on the MCG Boxing Day, te- probably the best ever innings played on Boxing Day against a brilliant West Indian lineup. Australia made a 200, Kim Hughes 100 not out, got battered black and blue and smashed them everywhere in between. And then Lily came out and, and took four wickets, including Viv Richards off the last ball. And as we've been saying, the atmosphere today, very similar to that atmosphere 40 years and two days ago. Absolutely. So, look, the, the state of the play is what England are, what, 51 behind still with six wickets in hand. Um, I, I can actually really see that if Root or Stokes go early, this is all over uh, by lunch and Australia doesn't bat again. I'm not joking. I could see England rock and rolled for 70 or 80. Um, you know, the counter to that is, you know, Root or Stokes or Butler plays a blind or something and Australia is set 150 and it's Dean Headley style, 94, 95. We, we get rock and rolled and England are back in the series. But, geez, it seems a long way away, doesn't it? Was it 94, 95 or 98, 99? I mean, pick, take your pick. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we'll, we'll check. We'll check. I might, maybe I'm mixing two up. Was that the one with the Rampra Cash catch? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was 98, 9. Oh, that's it, because McGill was playing. That's right, McGill was mm. playing. That was that the one where, so yeah. Steve Waugh got 112 not out in the first innings and was there not out at the end at the second, and that's what hardened, crystallised Ian Chappell's erroneous view that he was a selfish batsman. Yeah. All right, let's take these questions, because we've been sitting on them for a day. All right, Reese Kemp, Menas, Boland is a good Sheffield Shield bowler. As I said last night, in my opinion, he's perfect for English conditions where it just nibbles each way. What do you think? Uh, yeah, so he's basically criticising your comment from last night. And um, I agree with him. I think that he's a, he's more than a Sheffield Shield bowler, but I don't think he's in Australia's best three. Um, he probably is in Australia's best seven, and that's where they've kind of, um, or six, where they've kind of gone to. Yes, he'd be good in England. Um, he'd be, um, he's probably someone who should have moved to England when he was 20. <laughs> <laughs> it could be like a Peter Siddle um, type pick for the next Ashes. 
Richard M, can we re-examine the assertion often mentioned on Test Match Special and the like that in a vacuum, these two teams were more or less a match for each other? Australia's retention in England seems to refute this. Yeah, absolutely. I think they they look like a better match going into this series than they actually are. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's a flawed assertion because England's last three tours down under have been such terrible performances. And when Australia goes to England, we're more competitive. We were you know, close to winning the 2015 Ashes until, you know, we got bowled out for 60. But, you know, we don't talk about that. Um, you know, we drew the series last year. I mean, uh, yeah, you, actually, you're right. TMS is full of shit on that one. I haven't listened to enough of TMS these days to know that they say that, but that's nonsensical. Of course, Australia um, has been a better side. Um, the last time that England were a better side than Australia was 1985 uh, and 1986. Those mid-80s, England were better. Uh, maybe they touched being better around about 2010 again. But aside from that, Australia has been comfortably the better side as they are now. Brewer 74. Um, oh, is that no, this is your turn, is it? Uh, will the first innings lead be enough to make it an easy chase for Oz in the second innings? What will England need to set to make it a competitive conclusion? Well, that's a good one. Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I reckon... Um, that England would need to set a lot to make them favourites going into the final innings. You know, it would probably need to be 250 or so. If it was 250, then people would be saying England are favourites. That's looking a long way away. I think 180. Um, you know, Australia's failed chasing 100-odd before, but you wouldn't expect that to be the case. If they get 150, 180... At least they've got something to bowl at, and one or two wickets could make things um, quite nervy in the Australian dressing room. Yeah, I agree. I think he's spot on there. Martin Lawrence, what have you thought of the BBL scheduling so far? I know it's not easy right now, but starting games at 9.30 at night is terrible for television and crowds. Yes. Yeah, so what have I thought, Marty? Well, good question. I'm at the end. I'm at the end of a sort of marathon. So yesterday, you know, all day of the Boxing Day test, then into uh, the Sydney Smash Derby, the Sixers Smash the Thunder, and then into the Renegade Scorchers, and then a radio spot at like one in the morning. It was a marathon, and then and then I realised it's happening again today. Like there's there's two two big bash games on tonight. So after this recording, I've got another three hours live cricket. So, um. I do feel that it is hard for people to get out there and to get big crowds with this. And I've actually finally come to the conclusion that the Big Bash probably needs to go back to 10 games per team, maybe maximum 12, and just shave the intensity of the schedule. But I've got to say, for me, as somebody that is just ravenous when it comes to cricket consumption, I can watch, um, you know, test match than two Big Bash games five days a week for the rest of my life. I could if I lived alone, and you are currently living alone because your family are overseas. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I think it's too much. But as I've said before, given the weird world we're living in, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going to criticise them. If, 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 if we're in normal times and they were doing this, I'd be very critical, but I'll, I'll give them a, um, I'll let them off. Absolutely. Well, some great questions. Thanks, everybody, that have um, written comments and, and sent in um, questions. Uh, Paul, anything you want to say before we wrap up? Cricket Daily, the Ashes edition, the MCG day two, possibly the penultimate edition, um, Ashes edition, because who knows what could happen tomorrow. Keep your fingers crossed, cricket lovers. 
I hope that they all test negative, and I really do hope that England do something tomorrow. I'd love a Joe Root century to then Australia needs a, a good run chase to runs chase to give this test match something, and um, it would be a bit of a pity if we were suddenly at lunchtime tomorrow already three nil. Yeah, well, could happen. Be fun. Well, right, was, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I was sort of saying, I was saying on the radio last night that it gets to a point now as an Australian where I've gone from wanting a competitive series to now just let's completely embarrass <laughs> and trounce these losers because you made every mistake you could make. I mean, so, Pommy Bingo's gone viral. I'm sorry, someone grabbed that from this show and is Pommy Bingo's been because it has been Pommy Tourist Bingo. So, anyway. That's all I want to say. Have a great night. Thanks for watching. Paul Dennett, thanks for another great show. Um, sorry I cut you out of the video last night. That's okay, Andrew Menzel. It's okay. All right. Thanks, listeners. Back tomorrow. Bye. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving at your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.